0: So good morning, everyone. I think winter has well and truly arrived. So it's a burn winter. Hopefully our hearts are burning, or they're about to burn, in a good way, not a bad way. I might just pray. I'm feeling a strange kind of, I don't know, sense of depletion. So I'm just going to ask God to kind of help me and help us as well. Father, I want to thank you for this series of being reintroduced to God, the Holy Spirit. What a grand doctrine from the operations manual, from your word. What a grand teaching, yes. because it's so earthy. And so we thank you, Lord, that your spirit is with us. We thank you for the promise of that. And I just pray, Lord, that we will know more and more of your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know why, but Siri decided that she would start talking. You can be quiet, Siri. One of those mornings, I think... So we're up to part seven, seven of seven today, and asking that question again: Do you want to go deeper? This will be the last time I ask, and this will be the last time you see me for a little while. I'm going to hand back over to some of the other blokes to be preaching over the next uh, four to six weeks. We'll have a break and prep up for uh, Psalm 2.2, and we're going to continue to hopefully hear from them. And but I don't want, I don't want as well what I want as we go forward into the future with the rest of these with the rest of these sermons and so forth is not to forget what we've learnt about the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, without God himself with us, all these other teachings are a husk. They're just an empty shell. They're like Ezekiel's bones Ezekiel's bodies laid out on the valley floor without any breath, without any life. Your whole Christian walk is about walking in the Spirit. Your whole Christian life, your Christian endeavor is all about living in the spirit, living in his power, living in his life, which is the spirit of God, the father. And as we've seen, the spirit of Jesus Christ. How special. How beautiful. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Starting to get an amen. That's great. So do you want to go deeper? That's my question. I won't bug you with it anymore, but really, I don't ever want you to forget it either, because ultimately, if we're not going deeper with the Lord, there's no kind of neutral ground. You're either regressing or you're growing. If you're just passive, I want you to know in your Christianity that it's a passive regression. It's a passive regression. Amen. 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 Alan, who just turned how old? Walk with the Lord your whole life. Awesome. I want you to know that God wants us to go deeper with him. He wants us to trust more deeply. He wants us to um, hope more deeply and he wants us to love more deeply. Amen, Kathy? Mm -hmm. And he wants that for our families, the people that we are with, the people that we serve and love in our school place, our workplace, our home place. He wants them to go deeper as well, whatever, whether, whether at zero in the Christian walk, which is really the walk with Jesus, the walk with the giver of life, the walk with the creator, or they're at five or six or seven with 10, the end. So if we do want to go deeper in seven of seven, we need to ask ourselves a really serious question. And a bit like last week, I just want us to do like we've talked about triple O, orientating on God, opening up. As we open up to him today, I want you to ask yourself this. I want you to, Look deep down into your heart and ask yourself, does fear dominate your life? Is fear a pattern in your life? Is fear a blockage, a contaminant, a congesting factor in your spiritual life? And when I ask that, I want to ask for the men... Are you a son or a slave? And for the women, I want to ask, are you a daughter or a dog's body? A dog's body is just colloquial language for the female version of a slave. It could be a male as well, working at menial tasks, being burdened by that. Are you a daughter or a dog's body? Are you a son or a slave? We need to know that if we want to go deeper and we want those people around us that we love and we cherish and those that we're trying to serve in our workplace, we need to know that if fear dominates our lives, then we do not have a slave, we do not have a saviour, we have a slave master. Okay. If fear is dominating our lives, we do not have a father, we have a liar. And if fear is dominating our lives, then we are driven not by belief, and trust but by deceit. And I'm going to explain all this as we go, so bear with me. We have fear instead of faith, if fear is our master. So what do I mean by fear dominating? What do I mean when we say we either have a savior or a slave master, a father or a liar, we either have faith or fear. Well, let's read this scripture together, it should be very familiar to you. You might even want to turn there to Romans 8. Does it look familiar? We are finishing with our memory verse. That's what we're finishing with. We're going to have a close look in, in 7 of 7 on this Holy Spirit series at this letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church 2,000 years ago. You are reading words that are 2,000 years old. How cool is that? What magnificent words. And In uh, the book of Romans, Paul traces out the grand theology of Christianity from the fact that none of us are perfect, none of us are good enough according to God's holy standards. We are all dysfunctional in one way or another. Just look back on your lives. If you've been perfect, you don't need to listen anymore. Paul tells us that in Romans 1 and 2, we are in great need, sinners in great need of a saviour. And then he builds on that theology and shows what Jesus has done to bridge the gap of sin. Sin is like this contaminant in our relationship with each other and with God. Paul traces Uh, the grand arc of redemption. So we try and we try and we try, or we just don't care, we don't try, but in any case, we fall short of God's glory. We fall short of his holy standards, of his love. And so instead of leaving us like that, as perhaps other gods would, he gets inside skin and bone, and he comes and he suffers on a cross. He becomes what theologians call the propitiation. I'm so glad I said that without getting it wrong. He becomes what we should have been, that punishment, that separation. He gets inside it and then three days later, he busts out of the tomb. Remember Easter? The minimalist facts. Even atheists agree that the tomb was empty. Christians were irrevocably changed and that Jesus really died. Even atheists agree on that. They don't don't agree on that it was supernatural, but something happened there. And we believe that what happened was Jesus busted out of the tomb the disciples were irrevocably changed. Instead of being cowering cowards, they were out with power preaching this message. And this is a message that gripped Paul, who was himself a Christian killer. It gripped his heart with such power that he changed his whole life and he began to serve and love Christians rather than trying to kill them. And it is he that now writes this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He wants people that have come to terms with who Jesus is to know something else, to know that they are not alone, that they have the spirit of God. And he says here, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It didn't make you a convert. It didn't just make you a religious person. It made you a son. It made you a daughter. That is what the Holy Spirit did. That is what God does through the Holy Spirit. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, that intimate term for Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let me read this bit again. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Do you see what's happened there? Fear and slavery together. Because fear is a slave master. Psychologists, and I had to Google this, maybe I should have run Claudette, I Googled it instead. Um, Psychologists tell us that fear is the most powerful motivator that humans have. I'll just say that again, fear is the most powerful motivator that humans have. In fact, it's even more powerful than desire. And some say that 80 to 90% of what we do is motivated by fear. Fear of what other people think, fear of consequence, fear of missing out, fear of failure, fear of fear. But the spirit that we receive, we receive so that we will not live in fear again. Now think about that for a moment. So orientate, open up to God now. Think in the things that we do, how many times are they driven by fear? I'm not talking the healthy kind of fear. We're going to talk about that at the end. I'm talking about the crippling, behavior-changing kind of fear that is just like a plant that's sort of starting to burst up, coming to full greenery, about to produce fruit, and then it just shrivels away and dies. That kind of fear, that kind of fear that stops us from powering on, that kind of fear that stops us from enduring, the kind of fear that causes us to rationalize. I'm talking about unhealthy, crippling fear because fear is a dreadful master. The spirit you receive does not make you slave so that you live in fear again. Fear is a terrible master. It's an awful master. It's a slave master. And this goes back to my original statements. If fear is a slave master, as a scripture I believe clearly teaches, what does that make you when you are being driven by fear, when you are listening to fear? What does that make you? A slave. It makes you a slave instead of a son. It makes you a dog's body instead of a daughter. Every time you fear in an unhealthy, crippling kind of way, you do not have a father in that moment. You have a slave master. And it's so easy, my brothers and sisters, to legitimize fear. To go, well, look at everybody else. Look at consequences. Look at the immediate kind of effects of something that might harm me. Of course I should be afraid, but it's not me telling you this. Because let me tell you, last night I had just about every kind of dream covering all this gamut of fear that you could possibly have. So this is not as one telling, look at me, I am super Adrian here. I'm telling you, though, that I do not want to stay in fear and I do not want to stay under the bondage of a slave master. I want to know my father more deeply. I want to reorientate on the Holy Spirit. I want to reorientate away from fear because I am a son and my brothers, you are sons. If you know the Lord Jesus, you have bent the knee, you've repented of sin and you are now trusting and loving him. You're a son. My sisters, you are daughters, not dog's bodies. Do not give in to fear. It stops us from going deeper. It stops us from loving more deeply, trusting more deeply, hoping more deeply. It's cruel. It's cruel to see. It's cruel to see that stunting, that crippling, that 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 burden, that dark shadow over us. So what kinds of fear are we dealing with? These unhealthy fears. I'm talking about all the crippling species of fear that stop us from being who we were meant to be, that the fear that reshapes our actions, that contaminates our kingdom endeavors, It contaminates our relationship with each other and with God. Here's the top 10 according to a popular psychology site. And I know there are different schools within psychology about what motivates people. And again, you could talk more to Claudette or other people about that. But these are common ones, and I resonate with these. This is the 10th most common one, the fear of getting old, which is really a fear of losing your health, losing your freedom, The fear of getting old, that's number 10, the 10th most common one. The ninth most common one is the fear of being poisoned, apparently. Now, again, though, there are things that underlie this. It's a fear of harm. It's a fear of, um, you know, our body's kind of shutting down. You see some of those movies where people are being poisoned. You think, well, I hope that never happens to me. You often go to a restaurant, hope they've done their cleaning kind of properly it's funny, as soon as someone says, oh, that place was shut down a few weeks ago because uh, the, you know, uh, the council shut them down or whatever, uh, you don't want to go there anymore, do you? Fear of getting poisoned. The eighth most common fear is the fear of being a coward. You think about this, though. This is actually the fear of being thought of as a coward. The fear of being a coward, the fear of being thought of as a, of a, as a coward. The seventh most common fear is the fear of germs and illness of cancer, of disability. Again, in some ways, having such a fear uh, is just part of being human. I grant you that. But at the same time, if it becomes a crippling thing, we're in trouble. The fear of going crazy is the sixth most common fear. Again, that's a fear, I guess, of a number of underlying fears, really the fear of, what people would think. The fear of, of, of not having control anymore. The fifth most common fear is the fear of intimacy. This is the fear of trusting people, of opening up to people. So you lock everything down, put it into a stronghold. It's interesting that's the fifth most common fear. The fourth most common fear is the fear of spiders, rats and snakes, plus monsters, knives and high heels. Maybe it was too much of a popular psychology side, I don't know. But this really, again, is a fear of harm from strange creatures or animals or whatever. Spiders, rats, snakes, I know many of the ladies will relate. (coughs) The third most common fear, and I'm wondering if you're getting what the number two and number one most common fears are. It's uh, it's actually a little bit surprising. But the third most common fear is a social phobia. It's actually um, seen as often public speaking, but it's really the fear of being incompetent, seen as incompetent in front of everyone, of being incompetent or ridiculous or stupid. It's the fear of failure, of not being good enough. Number two, second most common fear is the fear of death. Do you think that was number one? I thought that would be number one. What do you think number one is? Andrew got it pretty close. The number one most common fear is the fear of loneliness. Isn't that interesting? Of being alone. Of being alone. So they're the 10 most common fears. And again, you could unpack them and you could probably come up with a whole bunch of, even when they become phobias, um, psychological disorders and the manual of psychological disorders and so forth. But they are ones that I think we all resonate with, yeah? So 10 fears. So let's summarise the 10 most common fears. So there's old age, getting poisoned, you know, illness, cancer, going crazy, spiders, rats, snakes, death. And then there is loneliness, seeming incompetent, intimi- uh, fear of intimacy, and fear of being seen as a coward. Now, did you notice what I did there? I'm not a psychologist, but I do see patterns. I've put them into two little groups. Because I believe that when you do that, what you see is that they actually come down to two things. Harm and unlove. The fear of harm and unlove. The fear of being physically hurt, spiritually hurt, spiritually abused, uh, emotionally hurt. Or the fear of unlove. Loneliness, the sense of you know incompetence. Of of you not loving me because I fail up the front or fail in in social situations. All those, I believe, harm and unlove, all those, all these fears are all sort of under that. And again, I'm not going to build massive doctrines or anything on that. But I just want to say that these are the mega fears of being hurt, harm, or not being loved, not being accepted. Harm and unlove, they are the two mega fears. Have I dropped off, have I? Okay. So we need to ask ourselves, if we want to truly go deeper, what are we really afraid of? Like what's really going on in our hearts? Thanks, mate. <clears throat> what are you really afraid of? The spirit you receive does not make you slave so that you live in fear again. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit will not make you a slave. He makes you a son. The Holy Spirit will not make you a dog's body. He makes you a daughter. To me, this is such a simple thing. It's not going to be a complex, exegetical sermon. Not that I think I ever really probably do those. It's just going to be a simple call to go, what is it in our hearts that we're really afraid of asking the Lord to open us up? What are we really afraid of when we don't commit, when we give up, when we lash out, when we bite back, when we rationalise, when we don't step out in faith? What are we really afraid of? You know, the other motivator is desire. Desires can easily be... Uh, morphed or twisted into desires for other things apart from our precious Lord rather than seeing them as good gifts suddenly we start to see them as idols that's one powerful motivator in our life but there's also this one fear that's what we're talking about today fear the fear of harm and the fear of unlove are slave masters not saviors it's funny because when we operate out of fear we're trying to save ourselves from something aren't we We're trying to save ourselves from that kind of public humiliation. We're trying to save ourselves from physical harm. In a sense, whatever we do in that moment has now become our saviour. Is it a true saviour? Will it truly save you from physical death and from harm and from unlove? What is the one thing, the one person who can truly provide you with freedom from harm and freedom from unlove? Who is it? The precious Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Are we a son or a slave? Are we a daughter or a dog's body? What is the cost of fear? My brothers and sisters, what is the cost of fear? We're going to look at some snapshots very briefly from scripture at the cost of fear. We're going to look at Peter initially. We looked at him last week as a before and after. Pretty cool. Go back and have a look at that. But Peter, the denier that Ben took us through not so long ago as well, he's in that courtyard. The lady or the, the little servant girl comes to him. and goes, you were with him. You were with those disciples. This is Jesus under trial. He's about to go to the cross. Peter said, I won't leave you. Even if anyone else leaves you, I will not leave you. He's in the courtyard. What's driving him? Fear of what? Harm. And what? Mate, look at the cross is like a pretty scary thing. He's thinking, maybe that'll happen to me too. But there's also many other Jewish people around. There's also that peer group pressure. If he says right now, yep, I'm with that unpopular guy over there. There's the fear of unlove. That's all there. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. He began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Jesus who, sorry, Peter who followed Jesus for three years, look what fear is doing to him. Look what that slave master does to its slave. Terrible. Peter the denier. Let's do a what if here. We know from the before and after, Peter is magnificently changed as the Holy Spirit grips his heart. He becomes a powerful preacher. This is one of the greatest evidences for Christianity. That all these guys that should have seen Jesus as just a dead Messiah and then just faded into the, to- into the mists of history is powerfully changed. And we know that from Acts, Peter stands up with the 11, chapter 2. He raises his voice. He addresses the crowd. The contrast is so stark compared to what I just shared with you from the courtyard. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he preaches to them and 3,000 are saved. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's do a what if here. What if Peter, in that moment, suddenly saw the crowd, realises as he looks, hey, I saw that face there was calling out crucify. And those leaders up there, they're the ones that actually killed Jesus. Whoa, well, whoa, well, whoa. Well, well. Uh-uh. Just, just, I'll just wait till the time is right. I'll wait for the right season. What if he had done that? The cost of fear would have been no Peter the preacher, no 3,000 saved. Now, I know God in his sovereignty can do whatever he pleases and he will make sure that his message gets out. But you need to understand that the consequences to fear are real. The cost is real. The overlord of fear in that moment to Peter would have commanded, no, think about what would have happened if he had listened. What about Peter and Cornelius? Don't you love the story of Cornelius, one of the first Gentile non-Jewish believers? He has that vision. He's a God-fearer, it says, but he hasn't really heard much about this Jesus character. Peter goes to him. But what if Peter had been afraid of peer group pressure and not gone to Cornelius? This is actually what happened. The believers who had come with Peter were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of Cornelius' household. And Cornelius' household are excited. They're supercharged on this knowledge of Jesus, this relational knowing of Jesus. Jesus. But what if Peter had gone, oh no, the Jewish people, I've got to kind of look after them. I'm not going to Cornelius. We're not supposed to eat with them. What if he had gone, well, the overlord of fear would have meant that Cornelius and his household did not know the Lord Jesus that day. The cost of fear is high. Ask yourself as we orientate now, as we open ourselves up, how much has it cost you when you have been afraid how much has it cost you when you've been a slave not a son what about throughout the bible let's just skim over all the scripture adam and eve in eden they're given everything the superabundance of a supernatural garden that doesn't have any weeds doesn't have any thorns super productive every tree just don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil satan comes to him and goes no, no. God actually doesn't want you to have this knowledge. He's holding something back from you. See what's happening there? He's introducing fear. Fear that God is holding back, that God isn't who he's meant to be, isn't who he said he is. That God is somehow um, uh, uh, like somehow going to be mean to me. And we know that Eden would pass away because in that moment They were right for sin and desire took over, fear took over, and the rest is history. We now get old because of that. We now suffer. The whole world is in travail because of that. What about Abraham? We love Abraham, don't we? The guy who God called out of Ur, amazing man of faith. And we know that God chose Abraham and his people and his race so that they would bring the Lord Jesus to bless all of humanity what if Abraham in Ur had gone, wait a minute, it's quite comfortable here. I do not know what is out in that desert. I'll stay here. If he had been a slave in that moment instead of a son of faith, he would have missed out. And we, who knows how it would have gone. Now, again, God is sovereign. He will get it done. But the consequences and the cost is real. Moses freeing the captives. He had so many reasons to be afraid. And there were times where he tripped, stumbled, fall, fell as far as fear went. But ultimately, God was his master. God was his father. God was his savior. And he led those people out. But they wouldn't have been freed if he'd succumbed to harm, to the fear of harm, to the fear of unloved. David, if he had succumbed to fear, no cool story that even people that aren't in the church like to use as a figure of speech. Your Goliath, David and Goliath. Like, it would never have happened if he'd given up. Instead, he saw that towering figure of a man, and he actually ran at him, powered up by the Spirit of God. The cost of fear is real. Nehemiah, we're going to be going through this in School of Ministers 2.2. Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. If he had gone, nah, it's too much of a journey, there's too much ruin, and then the first little bit of opposition that he got, he would have just given up. I'm afraid. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. He is not succumbing to harm or to the fear of harm, to the fear of unlove. And you yourselves, does fear go together with faith, hope, and love? They are in, in antithesis. Faith, hope, and love. This kind of crippling fear has no place for us if we want to go deeper. So why fear? Why be... Dominated by it. Remember Timothy? Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? For for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. If you look at the, uh, the Greek word, it can be actually rendered a number of ways. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. For God did not give us a spirit of fearfulness. What did he give us? A spirit of? Theological question? Power, love, and self-discipline. Of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So if you fear, here's a litmus test now. If you fear in this crippling kind of unhealthy fear, what spirit is that? Is it there's three, I believe there's three options. Is it the spirit of God? Is it your own spirit in the flesh, or is it the spirit of Satan? Can be the flesh, can be Satan, but is it God's spirit? No, no of course not. Now, it would be easy at this point to suddenly feel the big weight and burden, of, oh, look, listen to Adrian, yeah, I know, I fear too much, blah, 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 blah. And I could also do the same thing, but I want you to know, I want you to know in that next moment, and it could only be just, very quickly, in that next moment of fear, to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, what do I need to do here? I need to reorientate. Because this is not God's spirit, this fear thing that I'm feeling, and you know it in your heart, that cold kind of fear, that crippling kind of fear. I need to reorientate on the spirit that I have been given, the Holy Spirit, I need to, from what we've heard from the last few sermons, I need to turn into wind. If I'm a windmill, I need to reorientate into wind, away from that fear. I need to fan into flames the gift that God has given. I need to get out on the water and flow with the water. I need to, I need to reorientate on God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, of love, of self-control. I need to reorientate. You know, we came up with this kind of little thing, triple O. We need to um, triple O it. And I know, again, it's just a little acronym. It might seem cutesy to you, but acronyms, particularly in aviation, short things that we need when we're under pressure, they are great because they help you remember. So next time you have fear, if you don't have your own triple O, then get one. Get something that helps you reorientate on God. We know that the first O... um, is orientate. The second O oh is open up. The third O oh is obey. So orientate, we're talking about praying. Talking about praying about this fear. Lord, I'm feeling this fear. I do not believe it is from you. I'm asking now that you would orientate my heart onto you. Now, you might need a promise at this point. So why don't you start remembering scripture? Remember it like a thirsty man needs water, not just like, oh, it's a tick and flick thing that Willow Byrne wants us to do. No, no, no. A thirsty person that needs some water. So you remember a scripture like, do not fear for I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or, classic. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then moving on. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will... know evil. Something to orientate yourself on God's promise in that moment. This is why storing up God's word in your heart is so important. This is why having those daily devotionals is so important. So that you can actually go and live this. And then opening up in that moment, if you're still feeling the fears, going, Lord, what's going on in my heart? Can you please change it? And then obeying. If he has asked you to do something and you've gone into the rationalization trajectory, you need to stop. You need to repent. And you need to go, Lord, help me now to obey what you've called me to do. I do not want to give up. Even if my soul is tortured by this, I will not give up. I will not give up because you have given me a spirit of love, a spirit of power. I will not give up. And if you've given up in the past, then know this it's the past. It's the past. Leave it there. That's why you've got a Savior who loves you, who has died for you, has been your champion. Just leave it there. Now let's get on with it. Let's change. Let's not be afraid. Let's orientate. Let's open up. Let's obey. Let's move in Pentecost power for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the king, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. We're approaching the end of this sermon. And I want you to know that the spirit, remember back to those pictures from our series. It is a spirit of uh, in metaphorically speaking, air, oxygen, life, of water flowing, of fire. It is a spirit. Uh, he is the spirit that enlivens, purifies, and is sovereign. You approach him on his terms, not your terms. You. He asks that you approach him in prayer. He asks that you approach him in humility. He asks that you approach him with an open heart. You do that. You do it. Don't wait for him to do it. You do it. You approach him on his terms. And yes, he comes for you. Yes, he will show you the true state of your sin, the true state of your sinful state. And he will constantly turn as a father does to a wayward child, turn the child back to himself. But do not live in fear because that is not The spirit you are given. Let me read some scriptures to you as we finish off. Some truths to bash your fear masters with. Your fear masters that are waiting just outside the door of your heart right now. Some truths. Now, whether you continue to fear or not. And live in crippling fear. In behaviour changing fear. In reward denying fear. These truths will stand. They will stand. Romans 8. 31 to 32. We're going to listen to all of Romans 8 shortly as we lead up to communion. What then shall we say in response to this? This is at the end of the chapter with our memory verse there that we've just been looking at. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Harm and unlove? No. Protected and loved by the sovereign power of God. Yes, you might have to go through some stuff that hurts, but he will give you what you need in that moment and he will bring you to the end. And the end is this. The sun will not beat upon them. They will not thirst again. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The picture of a lamb in heaven is such an important picture because it shows that Jesus, the sovereign king, is also the sacrificial lamb. He has already gone to the cross for us and died for us. There's that juxtaposition there. It's beautiful. And God will wipe away every tear From their eyes, he will be their shepherd. That's a truth that will stand no matter what you fear. Isaiah 41.10, I love it. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What are you afraid of? The father gave his one and only son. God didn't send his son into the world to, to condemn the world. He, right now you might feel condemned because of this fear kind of talk. A little bit. Guess what? He didn't send the son to condemn you. He sent the son to save you and he sent the spirit. He sent the spirit so that you might truly live without fear. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city. This is John Speaking in Revelation. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. That separation's finally gone. God is with his people. We see him as he really is. We see ourselves as we really are in his light. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Just in that one sentence, just in one, that one sentence, that kills every fear that you could possibly ever, ever have. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. That's a fear killer right there. You could could apply that to any fear that you have right now. No more death, mourning, crying, pain. It's not going to last. That's why it's deceitful when it says and feels like it is going to last. and It's always the way it's going to be. It's not because he is seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. I am the Alpha and the Omega. He already knows the end from the beginning to him who is thirsty i will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life i hope that this sermon if nothing else makes you thirsty for more of that spirit of love for more of that spirit of power i hope that psalm 23 though i walk through the valley of death i will fear no evil for you are with me i will fear no evil we walk through planet earth it's a valley of death it's it's been given over to death it is so fearful in many ways. Anything could happen to you out there. And yet, because you are with me, I'll fear no evil. That was David. He didn't have the Holy Spirit like you've got him in fullness. Protected love. Something you should fear. You should fear being cut off from God after he has done all this for you. You should fear your rebellious, hard heart that will continually legitimize fear, legitimize shortcomings, instead of saying, Lord, I need you. You should fear that. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, because he is a consuming fire. If you fall into his hands and you have not been made right by the Lord Jesus, that is what you should fear. Not all this other stuff, not what people think, not old age, not spiders. Here's a thought to finish off as we approach listening to Romans 8 and then communion together. I want you to imagine the biggest temptation to fear ever. If you are Jesus, the son of God, a lot of people I've heard, even in Bible studies, and I've often made me think a little bit, well, Jesus was God, so he kind of knew what was going to happen and therefore his suffering wasn't as bad. Here's the problem I have with that. Jesus, out of all of us, if fear is based on what we can lose, what could Jesus lose? He had the most to lose. The glory of heaven, the most perfect relationship. It's all put to risk in the garden in some way. Yes, I completely believe he's sovereign and I completely believe he's victorious, but I also believe that in his manhood, he was, things were put to risk. I think Satan knew that and he loved it. He loved seeing God suffer in the garden. But imagine if instead of that magnificent hope, And that magnificent truth, that magnificent verse, for the hope set before him, he endured the cross, right? Imagine if it was, no, because of the fear that overwhelmed him. Where would we be? Where would the universe be? I mean, what catastrophic things would have happened in time and space? But no, for the hope set before him. Jesus endured that temptation to fear. He truly is our champion. He truly is the one. That we should love and bend the knee to. He is the one that will bring faith, hope and love. He is the one. What a magnificent God. What a saviour. What a redeemer. You should fear with all your heart being cut off from that. You should fear with all your heart not wanting to go deeper. Just apathetic. Or maybe you don't even know Jesus and you're just like, yeah, whatever. you, You should fear something in that moment. Do you want to go deeper? Hebrews says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus is the great Redeemer. He rides into that slave camp. He looks around. He looks at you in the eye. He sees you return that gaze and he comes for you. He smashes all those fear masters out of the way. Just imagine that a sword cutting down, slashing, killing fear. And nothing stops him on his quest to redeem you. He sovereignly invites us to relate to him in love, to orientate on his provisioning power. That is magnificent. I'm going to read a Phil Yancey quote. You might not like Phil Yancey, but he speaks truth many times. In Rumours of Another World, he wrote this. Think about, I don't know, maybe not everyone has experienced this, but I think most people experience the flutter of romance for your first love, for a girl or a boy, that you really like, okay? Now, if we truly believe that all of creation is preaching, just think about this quote for a minute. Romance gives intriguing hints of transcendence. This is Phil Yancey. I am possessed by the one I love. I think of her day and night. I languish when she leaves me. I perform brave deeds to impress her. I revel in her attention. I live for her. I even die for her. I want to be both heroic and meek at the same time. For a time and only for a time, I can live on that edge of exaltation, then reality sets in or boredom, betrayal, old age or death. I cannot sustain a state of complete absorption forever. At least, though, I can see in it a glimpse of God's infinite capacity for such attention. Could this be how God views us? Now, if you're a bloke, I always guarantee you're going cringing a bit. But I want you to think about something for a moment. If you've enjoyed that kind of love, and you've you, you felt your heart flutter, do you really think that that is bigger than the love of God? Do you, think, do you think that's more? Do you? You might not like the cringy, romantic, kind of poetic writing of Phil Yancy, but he has a point. When we experience that and it's just tantalising and then it sort of fades slowly away, do we really think that that love is more or better than the love of God? Is it possible... That that is how God is. He is giddy for us. If we look at the cross, there must be an element of truth in that. Surely. Can I get an amen? Some are still cringing. That's all right. Have a think about it. He is giddy for us. For God so loved the world, he was giddy for He, he gave his only son. He gave up everything. God is giddy for you. I would like us to listen to all of Romans eight. Maybe you're already inside. You know this is going too long. I want you to listen to all of Romans eight. Hopefully, it'll play all right. It's by some brothers that have put together a number of Bible readings to sort of hip hop music. You might not like hip hop. It'll surprise you. Trust me. Uh, We're going to listen to Romans 8. Their precious brothers actually pray for them. They're dealing with uh, youth in big cities that are illiterate. So they put this Bible together for them. And it's cool. And I love it. We listening to it a lot as I scoot across the Darling Downs. And I want you to listen to this because this is a summary of our seven-part series. It really is the center of Romans, literally, Romans 8. It is life by the Spirit. It is who we are supposed to be. It is the best of humanity. It, this is who we're supposed to be as we are living by the Spirit. So I do hope it, it works. I'll just press this now.